Relax, breathe and take a step back because it's time for Best Fiends. There's no better time than now to play a few levels. I play to clear my head. I play while I'm waiting in the car, not driving the car. We all have our reasons. It's why I'm starting level 412 this week. Say goodbye to slugs, gift yourself a little downtime. Oh, and connect with us. We'll drop our friend code in the show notes. You've earned your fun time. Go to the App Store or Google Play to download Best Fiends for free. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the epic Viking tale of Hulf's heroes. We'll see that if you prefer a nice warm inn over sleeping on a wet deck with 60 dudes, that's bad, and you should feel bad. Also, if you don't make your employees balance for 12 hours on the edge of a ship under pain of death, are you really a good boss? The creature this time is the flaming head that's coming for you in the night. This is Myths and Legends, episode 289, Half the Man. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are tales that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. You'll notice that today isn't a two-parter. That's really because they are two standalone stories. Last week was the lead into today's story, but it's largely unnecessary to follow today's legend. Basically, we're still in the Viking Age in Iceland. Half, the child, is an epic Viking 12-year-old. He's the son of the late king, and his mom just remarried. He lives with his mom, brother, and stepdad, Asmund, also a king, and he wants to follow in his father's footsteps and go out raiding. The only problem? He first needs to confront the stone. The trial of the stone, King Asmund bellowed, arms outstretched. It, it's a stone, Hoff said, pointing to the big stone. Yeah, but anyone who wants to go Viking, go raiding, has to lift it. So, yeah, Asmund smirked. Though it wasn't without some hesitation that his stepson wasn't really getting what was so cool about the stone. Half was 12, a big 12. No one in the kingdom can match him for size or strength, which either meant he was really strong or the kingdom was super weak. He was big, but he had a lot to live up to. If you heard last episode, you'll know that Half's father was a hero. He single-handedly brought their entire kingdom home, or so he had told it. A lot. People in the loop knew the truth. Half's mom actually rescued Half's dad while Half's dad got caught by his other mom when trying to rescue both of them. The whole thing about Half's dad saving everyone was just kind of simpler. And Hild, Half's mom, was fine letting the dad and his not-at-all-fragile ego take the credit. Half knew, though, that he was the child of two heroes. But Half's dad had died while out raiding, and Hild had remarried. They went to go live with Asmund. Kjorolf, Half's brother, had been the first to go raiding. Asmund the king had told him to wait a few years. As epic as this 13-year-old was, he was still 13. After some overly hurtful, you're not my real dad, to the guy who basically raised him, Hjorolf said he didn't need Asmund's fancy raiding ships and seasoned warriors. He'd go on his own raids. 
with rowboats and old guys. Esmond said that that didn't come off as cool as Huroff thought it did, but still, it was inspiring in its own way. I mean, think of it like the People's Raid. Instead of being like some jacked king or landholder or something, Huroff took all comers, young and old, free and enslaved. He gathered what boats he could and set out to show that all that mattered was heart, grit, the determination to do what it takes to murder people and take their stuff. And they all died. As lofty as the goals for this egalitarian plundering were, they showed you why you should leave the greed-motivated murder to the professionals. Huroff led his ragtag team of rejects to the shores with their sticks and staves as weapons, and pots and pans as armor, and it was like the first 15 minutes of that 2021 suicide squad out there. They were completely eviscerated by other Vikings. Huroff went running back to his ship, his too big armor flopping around him. This earned him two things. The first was a nickname. Anytime something was too unwieldy for someone, in this culture, it will be called Huroff's Gear. The second thing he earned was a permanent shamecation. We don't know where he was sent, but it's like the Scandinavian equivalent of, like, Dayton, Ohio. Not bad, not great, just, it's kind of forgettable. So that's why we have the stone now, Asmund's courtier told Half. Half said he knew about that, his brother was the reason for it. The noble said it was nothing personal, just mandatory orientation for the stone. The stone was a stone, a heavy stone that guys had to pick up before they were allowed to leave Asmund's kingdom to go raiding. Half looked at the stone. His parents were the stuff of legends. But the thing about legends, they fade. The stone was a fixture in his stepfather's kingdom. A monument that said Hjorleaf's kids, they weren't their mother or father. That was a blip, an anomaly. The story of his family was one of failure. This stone, this was their legacy now. This was the story they'd tell. Unless Half did something about it. The 12-year-old strode forward, squatted down, gripped the stone, and lifted. The noble nodded. Very good. From the doorway to the longhouse, King Asmund watched. Then, he went to join in with the people gathering around Half. Later on at dinner, he was smiling. Half had done it. And at a little over half the age of some of the first-time raiders, he waited for a chuckle. Uh, look, in about 500 years when English became a thing, that joke would do all right. For now, though, he wanted to honor his son with a ship. Foster son, Half corrected him, standing. Asmund nodded. Of course, foster son. They would never forget Half's father. Half agreed. Another thing, his father had been a king. His father had been a peer of Asmund, and Half was his father's heir. Asmund forced another smile. Yes, of course. He was happy that King Half was finally coming into his birthright. Okay, so what's your name? Stein, Stein said. And you? Stein, the other kid, also named Stein, said. You're both named Stein. Half uh, tried to understand how that worked at home. Yeah, Dad, 
really like drinking, Stein said. Just kidding, that's an English joke. Stein means stone. We're strong, like stones. Hoff said, no, yeah, he, he got it. He looked them over. Okay, one was 18 and the other was 12. You, you're Stein Jr. Also, you're not coming, Hoff said. Wait, why am I not coming, Stein said. I said Stein Jr., Hoff said. And yeah, who's that? That's me, right? Are you 12? No. Okay, well, I'll just be clear. The 12-year-old is Stein Jr. Stein Jr. can't go because he was 12 years old. Stein Jr. pointed out that Hoff was only 13. Hoff said, yeah, and when you get to be 13, maybe you'll understand, kid. Hoff dismissed Stein Jr. and turned to Stein. The stone awaits. Stein and Stein Jr. were the sons of Alf the Old, a Jarl Vasmans, and Gunlot, the daughter of a berserker. When the kingdom heard that Half had not only asserted himself in front of the king, but that the son of Hjorleif and Hild had come into his birthright, it attracted some major talent. Not like your run-of-the-mill berserkers, but actual guys, named characters. Everyone was intrigued to see what Half would do. Half didn't wait for them to come, either. Blood was pumping in his veins again. He felt alive. He took the king's offer to help literally, and commandeered a standard-bearer, and four men to protect him as he went around through Asmund's 11 districts. He didn't fly Asmund's standard, though. Half flew his own. And from those 11 districts, one version tells us that they found 12 men. Two brothers, Hawk and Falcon, their parents were bird fans, I guess, Steer the Strong, Dag the Dashing, Bjork and Brynjolf, Bulwark and Hockey, Ring and Halfdan, Starry and Steingrim, Stuff and Gotti, and Bard and Bjorn. Together with Stein and two brothers named Rook, Rook the White and Rook the Black, for these 12 people, they had 17 people. The story tells us that there were 23 when the ship finally set out. If you're curious why the story is so specific when it comes to numbers, when none of the numbers add up, well, so am I. The time came when the warriors were standing at the dock in the fjord. They were leaving. They would go to distant lands, raid, visit with kings. It would be awesome. Asmund, the king, clasped Half on the shoulder. He was proud of his son. Stepson, Half corrected. Again, and boarded the ship. Asmund nodded. Stepson, of course. It was a nice day, until it wasn't. Weather can change quickly on the sea, and what started out as a sunny, windy day turned into a night with stars choked by clouds and rain. The men, or I guess teenagers really, stood on board the ship. Oh, it was raining? Weird. They hadn't noticed. This was perfect weather for them, actually, because they were men. Super tough. They actually preferred it like this. I... I don't, Stein said. The whole ship turned to him. What? That's... Oh, did he really just say that? Out loud? Ugh. They're embarrassed for him. Yikes. Stein was just saying, on other Viking ships, they would pitch a tent on board when it was raining sideways. Maybe they could do the same here. The 13-year-old that led them walked up to Stein until he was looking the technically man in the eyes. He yelled for the others to make port that evening. The ship sailed to a wide spot in the earth where they could dock. You want to go to an inn? Go ahead, Stein. King Half menaced Stein right in his face. 
Stein's eyes darted this way and that. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want to go to an inn. He was just saying, you're not at home anymore. You want to live in a tent? You go back there. You want to gain glory? You stay with us. Hoff said, and went to go grab a spot on the rain-drenched deck because real men love sleeping out on hard, wet lumber and dying from the common cold. They survived, though, and eventually Stein got with the program enough to not complain about the terrible living conditions. He didn't do it without a nickname, though. He was now Instein, because he preferred sleeping indoors at an inn instead of out on the deck in a rainstorm. Weakling. Anyway, it was a good thing he got a new moniker, because a few days later, and the dozen guys that somehow equaled 23, let's call that a Viking dozen, spotted someone else. Stein Jr.? Einstein perked up. Was that him? No, wait. He was Stein. What was his little brother doing here? Stein Jr. said he wanted to join the crew. He now understood all that Half had said about growing up. He was 12 and three quarters now. He understood stuff. King Half looked around. Well, they were a couple dozen miles from anywhere, and this kid had followed them through troll and ogre-infested forests in a rainstorm. Still, everyone else had had to lift the stone. Couldn't let the kid aboard without a challenge. All Stein Jr. had to do was balance on the rudder post for like 12 hours. Just stand there out in the wind and the rain in the middle of the sea balanced on a post. And if he fell, they would leave him. No worries. And apparently there weren't any worries, at least for Stein Jr. Also, after that day, when he pushed the crew to 25 guys, he was no longer known as Stein Jr. He was now outside Stein or Utstein, which I didn't think there was a way to make two guys named Stein more confusing, but here we are. Half wasn't his father. He wasn't his brother. He told himself that he was better, tougher. I like to think the super macho nature of King Half's ship, macho even by Viking standards, wasn't Half trying to impress his crew or keep people in line or anything. It was Half proving something to himself pushing himself to the limits to prove that he was worthy of his father's name. Not just worthy, actually, but surpassing. His own devotion to going forward, pushing himself harder, engendered almost a fanatical respect from his crew. After their first summer of raiding, Hulf stopped off at a blacksmith. He returned with short swords. Like, really short swords. Most Viking swords were about 27 to 41 inches in length. Hulf's swords were 18 inches. And heavy. Short, so that his men would be forced to be brave, getting close. Heavy, so that when Half's Vikings struck, their enemies would know it. No one spoke up, because no one wanted to appear weak in front of the others. Half did make some rules. They would never bind a wound until the end of the day. On their raids, they would never take women or children. Instead, they would purchase them from their fathers, which should tell you most of what you needed to know about the Vikings if this type of rule was considered the exception. And also, it's not great to begin with. Further, like Einstein learned, they would never pitch tents in storms, or, in fact, even close the sails. Despite all the rules, everyone wanted to join what was coming to be called Hulf's Heroes. Heroes being an interesting word, not the one I would use for a guy whose most laudable trait was not selling women and children into slavery without purchasing them first. For 18 summers, the crew raided. Half's dozen grew to encompass 60 guys in all. And with it, Half's legend grew. 
We'll throw the crew into a situation that requires sacrifice, but that will be right after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're taking on water, Einstein cried, though the sloshing around the king gave that one away. We don't close the sails, Halth boomed. Water ran down his beard. Bailing out the ship wasn't helping. They needed to do something more drastic. Who shall volunteer to go overboard, to save the lives of his fellow heroes? Halph called out. A boat's worth of hands shot up, and then about 120 feet made their way to the edges. Okay, hold up, Halph said. It didn't make sense for all of them to sacrifice themselves to save the ship, because then there will be no one to sacrifice themselves for. Hmm? Right? Half waved them all back in. Let's think things through. The men thought about it. Yeah, that made sense. You know, it might be funny, Einstein said, if we closed the sails and stopped going out on the sea during torrential rainstorms. The rest of the ship looked at him. What? I said it would be funny. Because we're not going to do it, right? Because we're all so macho. In the end, it was outside Stein. He had just turned 30, too and had lived the majority of his life on the ship. He looked to his leader, king, and friend, and said it had been an honor pillaging with him. He went to the back of the ship and jumped. He would die alone, in the middle of the sea, but he would do it so his friends would live. This was a good death. Hey! King Half? Half heard from the back of the ship. It was outside Stein. I can... Stand. I think we're here. Just then, the rain let up, and they saw the darkened coastline with the lights twinkling in the distance. The lights of Asmund's longhouse. They were home. King Asmund, Half said, clasping his stepfather's arm. Son, uh, sorry. King Half, Asmund said with a nod. Half said it was good to see them, and looked to the empty seat, where his mother used to sit. It had been a long time. Asmund sat back on his throne. So, these were Half's heroes. A few, Half said. The rest were back on the boat. Well, bring him in. They can all stay here tonight, Asmund said. They could use a fun night off after two decades on the sea. Half said, maybe. First things first. He hadn't come home just to catch up. He had come to swear loyalty to his foster father, to exchange rings. King Half was getting up there in age. He was 31 now. He had been raiding for 18 years. He was going to settle down. By this age, his dad had like three wives. He was going to take his place at the head of his father's kingdom. Asmund said, of course, 
Asmund had a steward looking after old King Hjorleif's kingdom. The lands were expansive. Half barely remembered them. Barely remembered his father and his mother. He would rule it well, though, and Asmund would have a capable ally. The stepfather laughed. Of course he would. They were family. Asmund is going to try to kill you, Einstein said, when they made it back to the boat to get their stuff. What? Half was annoyed. Did Einstein hear nothing that went on in there? They were hugging, drinking. They exchanged those rings, those arm ring things that meant fealty. They were peers, allies. Einstein pointed out that why would Asmund want an ally when he could just have the whole kingdom like he had for the last 26 years? Half said Asmund wouldn't do that. He was Half's stepfather. Really? Stepdad? Einstein laughed. The guy Half cut off every time Asmund tried to call him son was his stepdad. Could have fooled Einstein. You're scared, Half said. Einstein had always been scared, ever since, what, 18 years ago? When Einstein wanted to sleep in a tent? Einstein said, first, oh my gosh, would they never let that go? Who doesn't want to sleep in a tent on a rainy boat? Two, he's still stuck with King Half. For 18 years, he had given his life for the king, and he would give the rest of it for Half. But he had dreams lately, where they were engulfed in flames. Einstein didn't know what they meant, until he saw Asmund's face, when he mistakenly called Half son tonight. Einstein would die for Half. He would, they all would but he didn't want Half to die for nothing. Half said he wouldn't believe it. He was accepting King Asmund's offer to sleep in the longhouse tonight, and anyone who wanted to come with him could. About half the men chose to follow King Half and stay in the longhouse. The other 30 stayed on the boat. They love sleeping on cold planks, preferred it, actually. Oh, you don't like sleeping with 29 men on the splintering deck of a ship? How weak of you. Inside, the fireplaces were roaring. The ale and mead was flowing. Half was talking to the man who was not his dad. I'm sorry about your mom, Asmund said. She became sick a few years back. With Hjorolf in exile, none of her blood relatives were there. But Half, he had been out doing what he needed to do, right? Gaining all that glory, getting that treasure. King Half, Half corrected. Esmond smiled. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, son. King Half, Half insisted. Esmond nodded again. Right. Sorry. That was the last time. They sat there awkwardly until King Esmond rose. He should turn in. He was pushing 60 now. He couldn't keep up with the kids anymore. He smiled and patted Half on the back. So, the definition of toxic masculinity is, quote, cultural norms associated with men that are harmful for society and men themselves. We've talked about it in the past, but in the Viking legends, the guys were pretty hyper-macho. Anything they saw as demeaning their vision of what a man should look like was to be utterly shunned. That, of course, stretches all the way back to the insult poetry slams of the saga of the Volsungs, 
but it also includes wearing Deep V t-shirts. And now, apparently, assassination attempts. Through his own imposition of extreme rules and ascetic self-flagellation, King Half had molded a crew that would withstand anything. Which was great when you're fighting other Vikings or, you know, out there being generally terrible. But when it comes to willfully burning alive to show how macho you are, you've taken things too far. And yeah, whatever Asmund's true motivations, he decided that tonight was the night. With Hjorof neutralized and Half in his power, he could make his move to gain complete control of the long-dead Hjorleaf's kingdom. He and his warriors barred the door to the longhouse after Half and his warriors passed out from the mead and piled fires all around it. Inside, one of Half's men woke the moment he smelled smoke. He looked up. Hmm, <laughs> seemed a bit smoky around their hawks now. Now, we don't know what that statement means, and it seems the warrior only said it for his own benefit, because no one else was actually awake. We do know that smoke was filling their hall, and he made his little quip and then went back to sleep. Or pretended to, I don't know. When the fire climbed the walls, and the ceiling caught, another one of Half's warriors woke. Hmm, getting warm in here. The wax would be dripping from their blades soon. They put wax on their blades to keep them from rusting. And they were, indeed, dripping. The warrior went back to sleep. The beams began to crack after they burned too much. They couldn't take the weight of the roof. Half woke. Hmm. Wait, what? The building is on fire. Oh my gosh, we're gonna die here. Everyone, get up. The two guys who noticed it beforehand were confused. Wait, so they were supposed to tell everyone if they were all gonna burn to death? Being a man is so confusing. Instein and Half rallied the men. And together, as the building collapsed, they were able to push through the burning doorway. The ones in front dropped, on fire, and the ones in back didn't make it out. Only Half, Instein, Rook the Black, and one or two others made it from the longhouse to see Asmund's warriors arrayed there in the night, waiting. Half's warriors were said to have the strength of 12 men each. Even the five or so that made it out of the hall were strong enough to hold off Asmund's berserkers for a time. I think it's safe to say that if they made it out when the first man woke, they would have been able to fight off those outside and gotten a warning to the boat. The thing that made his men so formidable was ultimately the thing that would destroy them. Maybe that's why King Half, son of Hjorleif and Hild, died laughing, stabbed by a dozen warriors, with the longhouse burning behind him. Is this the end of Hoff's heroes? We'll see, but that will, once again, be right after this. Outside, Stein jostled in the cart. It hurt. Everything hurt. He started to groan. Light flooded in when the blanket was pulled up, and outside, Stein got a slap in the face. Shut up. You're dead. Outside, Stein didn't know what that was about. He wasn't dead. In fact, he was piled in a cart with Bard and Bjorn, too. Wait, they were warm. 
the cart lurched to a stop. More bodies to be burned. The rebels. He heard a familiar woman say, there was a clang of coins, and then footsteps coming toward the cart. When the soldier lifted the blanket, outside Stein's eyes were closed. He was dead, after all. The blanket fluttered back down. Take them down to the shore, the warrior demanded. The cart started up again. A minute or so later, the cart thudded again. The woman said, sorry, sorry, she lost a wheel. She would have to catch up with the others. After another few seconds, the cart took off, crashing through the trees. When outside Stein dared to look, he could see the smoke of his brothers, his literal brother, and all the others that were once Half's heroes rising to the clouds. In the end, no one noticed that Gunlaud didn't show up to the pyre. Gunlaud was the mother of both the Steins, and now she helped her son, Bard and Bjorn, recover in a cabin in the woods. As soon as outside Stein could walk, his mother had to beg him not to go try to avenge his king. Asmund was paranoid. Both fires made it nearly impossible to get an exact count of the dead. He knew some had to have survived. A cotter had just been hanged for supposedly helping Rook the Black escape up north. As soon as outside Stein was able, he was going to Sweden. Barn and Bjorn were going to King Solvi, the late King Half's uncle on his mother's side. The time would come for vengeance, but not until they could be sure they could carry it out. A year later, outside Stein was covered in blood. Yeah, he had a message for Ulf, the sinister advisor to one of the kings in Sweden. All Ulf's sons were dead. What? King I. Stein, in case you were worried that we didn't have enough Stein names in this episode, demanded. There were eight of those guys. Yeah, you'd think eight would be a safe bet for carrying on your name and all, but guess not outside Stein said. And you think that killing all the king's advisor's sons is both a terrible way to lie low, as well as curry favor in your exile home? But apparently not for Vikings. Outside Stein proved himself to Einstein, who put out an edict that no one was to harm one of Half's heroes in his kingdom. Outside Stein wasn't the only one having a hard time adjusting to life outside of raiding. Rook the Black had escaped with the aid of the unfortunate Cotter. He had made it to King Haki, also in Sweden. I've never been in witness protection. This would be really bad cover if I was. That being said, in addition to starting podcasts, I'm pretty sure the next worst thing you can do when you're hiding is to stand in the river, bathing, and flexing both metaphorically and literally. The metaphorical flexing was Rook the Black, talking about how he missed his time with Half and Half's heroes. They did so much killing across nine countries. Half didn't even carry a shield. They were awesome. The literal flexing, well, Rook was bathing, and if any of the local looky-loos wanted to help themselves to a peak, he didn't have a problem with that. Turned out one of those thirsty townies happened to be the princess herself, and having one of Half's heroes in town solved a couple problems for her. A local king had respectfully approached her dad about an alliance. Svein the Victorious was not so victorious in love. Haki turned him down for a marriage to Brynhild, the princess. He took it well for a Viking king, in that he pledged to murder anyone who married Brynhild. Brynhild told her dad that one of Half's heroes had taken up residence in their kingdom. And also, unrelated, she had watched him bathing for like half an hour. 
she approved. Rook the Black took a seat of honor at the king's table, Mary Brynhild, and moved preemptively against Svein the Victorious. Further demonstrating the inaccuracy of his name, Rook the Black defeated Svein the Victorious, and Haki's kingdom was now at peace. Of the four men who had fled Iceland with their lives, Outsidestein was the chief warrior of a king in Sweden, Rook was married to a princess in Sweden, and Bjorn and Bard were with Half's uncle up north. It was a cold autumn day when Asmund saw the ships on the horizon. The kings of Sweden had allied against him. Then, a horn blew at the wall. Half's uncle was marching south. It was happening. Asmund ordered his warriors to prepare to defend the kingdom and rushed inside the newly constructed longhouse. There, he found four men waiting for him. Bard stepped from the shadows behind the door. Rook and Bjorn sat at the benches. Outside Stein sat on the throne. Asmund nodded. He knew this day would come. The day Half's heroes came for him. In many ways, it was a relief. He hadn't been able to sleep at night. Asmund knew that they were still out there, and finally his time had come at... Okay, they were... they were leaving? The four heroes had risen and were walking toward the door. He... didn't they want to hear about how he'd been tortured by the final laugh of his stepson? How all he wanted was some acknowledgement that he had mattered at all to the kids that he had raised? That he had acted as much out of anguish as opportunism? The four remaining men of Hoff's heroes looked at each other. Nope, they didn't care about any of that. They were only there because Asmund had killed their friends and their king the ones to whom they had pledged their lives. Asmund dropped to his knees, baring his neck. Fine, let them take him, but spare his kingdom. No, outside Stein said. They weren't going to do either of those things. They opened the doors to screams and the sounds of swords and axes thudding and they hit flush. We're not going to spare your kingdom. We're going to take it. Your people will be ours. Your home's burned. Your legacy ash. As for killing you? We'll let the fire do that, outside Stein said. Bard tossed a torch back into the hall before closing and barring the doors. The four remaining members of Hoff's heroes waited until the collapsing hall silenced Asmund's screams. The town burned around them, but that didn't stop the Swedish warriors or the northern berserkers. As they watched the smoldering ash, the four of them thought about something they had spent their entire lives fighting. At first for Half, then to get revenge for him. They had lived for years, counting their lives as nothing. Now, their long quest was complete. They didn't have anything to spur them on. They felt nothing. Maybe it was time to stop trying to die and start trying to live. Is what we might say. But remember, this is a Norse saga. Revenge rules and solves absolutely everything all the time. And what revenge doesn't settle? Well, looks like we need a little more revenge. Rook the Black, an outside Stein, decided to retire and finally get into some hobbies. Turned out their only hobby was raiding, and the story tells us that they did that for many years. Rook the Black and Brynhild had a daughter that they named Gunlod, after the Stein's mom, who helped heal the other three members of the group. She eventually became the mother of Hormund Gripson, the person we'll talk about the next time we get into the sagas, because if you thought we were finished with the supernatural stuff, he fights a witch king and befriends a Valkyrie before 
accidentally slicing off her leg. But that won't be next week. Next week, we're back in the Arthurian legends with the story of a giant made from cow bones, whale bones, and, of course, Guinevere's fingernails. The creature this week is the Ubagabi from Japanese folklore. You're walking on the road at night, and an elderly woman taps you on the shoulder. Kind of normal, except that the elderly woman is just ahead. She's on fire, and that tap was her slamming into your shoulder with her face. That is decidedly less normal. And you're also in for kind of a bad time, because you've just met the Ubagabi. Who among us hasn't wanted to steal precious oil from sacred shrines? I know I have. I'm fighting the urge right now to go buy some plane tickets for about five grand. I just looked them up. Go to a shrine in Osaka and just sneak up and steal all that oil. It is tough. You have to take it day by day because if you don't, you turn into an ubagabi. Not immediately though. Only if you die in great shame. In some cultures, how you die matters. If you die with unfinished business, regret, or intense shame like today, you're not able to move on as easily. The ubagabi, according to a few sources I found, is a kind of representation of that. Either an elderly woman died after she was stealing oil and was shamed by the priests of the temple and shunned by her village, or she died because she took the money of children and murdered them in the river and a flood came and drowned her. Those are different, but they apparently end in the same place. Fiery volleyballs. The ubagabi will fly around at night in the form of a flaming elderly woman's head or flaming chicken. Whatever form it takes, it's coming after you. It will slam into people, and after that, they are cursed to die within the next three years. I am not a doctor, but having a flaming cannonball head hit you in your back probably helps to make that curse pretty true. You can stop the Ubagabi dead in her tracks, though. If you have the presence of mind to scream out, oil pourer or oil thief, as you see a fireball of an elderly woman hurtling toward you in the night, the head, with his intense shame, will vanish. As long as you don't get stuck like a deer in headlights, you'll be fine. Get it? Because the head is on fire and it's, it's casting light. It, yeah, just, just yell the thing and run away. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.